Damo, do you want the first and only certified organic bone broth in Australia? Do you want a broth with no hidden thickeners, yeast extract, salt or flavour enhancers? MP, I want a broth made by hand from start to finish with nothing but love and positive vibes. Well, that's why you're left with only one broth, Damo, and that is Broth of Life. Ho, ho, ho. Choose from dehydrated bone broth in chicken, beef and lamb. You'll also find FODMAP-friendly stock. That's FODMAP-friendly stock, veggie stock and chicken salt, all available at brothoflife.com.au. And a special for Wellness Couch listeners. Enter the code WellnessCouch2016 at the checkout before November 30 for 10% off your order. So awesome. The code again is WellnessCouch2016, only at brothoflife.com.au. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women, with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest started out life just like other kids. She ate a standard Australian diet, she loved to laugh and play, and she was into singing, writing, and running. But an autoimmune disease of the liver came along to interrupt all of that when she was just 11 years old. She experienced waves of anxiety and depression, she lost her spark, and she lost a ton of weight. When the medications she took made things worse, she found a better way through changes in her diet and her mindset. I recently met this amazing human at the Wellness Summit in Melbourne and I was bowled away by her energy, her optimism and her desire to share her message with other teens. Please welcome to Shiny Healthy You from the Healthy Exception, the awesome Rachel Favilla. Woo! Hello! Hello! Thank you for having me, Jill. <laughs> it is so good to have you here. Um, we, I really, really loved meeting you at the Wellness Summit and I'm so, so excited to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. It was lovely meeting you too. Yay! Rachel, <laughs> can you give us a little rundown of the story of what happened with your health? Because I was lucky enough to hear you speak about this on stage and I would love you to share with my listeners what happened when did you realize there was something wrong um probably yeah like you said in the intro when I was about 11 um like up until then I'd had a relatively healthy and I used that term loosely because I still had I had childhood asthma and I got you know coughs and colds and all that kind of stuff but nothing too serious it wasn't like you know ending up in hospital the time asthma and I grew out of it so I was pretty energetic and healthy and then I just remember a few months after my 11th birthday just hitting rock bottom and being really depressed and like there was a few things going on with bullying at school and my nana had just died so it wasn't like it was completely out of the blue but I was quite a resilient person and I'd been bullied all the way through school and it had never got to me that much. And all of a sudden it was the summer holidays and I just remember being flat and having no energy and being anxious and it was just, and feeling really vulnerable and I didn't really know what was going on. And at that stage, I knew nothing really about natural health, nothing about nutrition. Um, And so I just kind of plodded along and really, to be honest, nothing really major took place then. Um, I did move schools halfway through year six and the new social scene and all of that kind of helped a bit and I was lifted up again and then it was kind of just up and down in waves um, until I was about 14 and in that time um, I noticed 
really noticed that I was starting to have a lot of digestive problems and whatnot. Um, but I think, you know, I suppose a lot of people can relate to this. They just became the norm for me and I didn't really question them. And everyone seems to complain about bread and pasta making them feel yuck, but it's almost like, so you don't even question it. You're like, that's just what those foods do, but they're delicious and I crave them. So you, know, you just, and you don't have that context for change. And if no one, no one else in my environment was in to natural health or nutrition or anything. So I just, I was interested in nutrition. I remember, um, you know, reading Healthy Food Guide magazine and implementing some of that sort of stuff. And But it was very much standard Australian, whole grains, low fat. So I thought I was doing the right thing, but wasn't. And then, um, how old was I? I just turned 14. It was around about just before Christmas and I was going to the GP because I wasn't growing, I wasn't going through puberty, wasn't developing, um, still had major digestive problems. So I'm, my mental health was actually pretty good at this point. Um, and because my mum's a celiac, the doctor tested me for that. I'd been tested before, but she said, you know, those things are notorious for being wrong. Let's just try it again because you've got all the symptoms of it. And um, then I got called, I think, the Sunday before Christmas, and she was like, could you please come in and I was like oh my god a doctor wants to see me on a on Sunday, Sunday. Like, he's wrong oh my goodness have I got cancer like what what is this um and I went and she's like okay well it doesn't look like you have celiac but your liver function tests and I at this point I didn't even know what the liver did I just knew we had one that's like <laughs> as far as it got and I was like oh okay she's like yeah they your liver enzymes are really raised um the pathologist microbiologists or pathologists reckon it could be this thing called autoimmune hepatitis um so I went into hospital had the biopsy and got diagnosed and it was such a whirlwind because I had no medical background no health background whatsoever and all of a sudden it was like I had this major disease um and I was put on heaps of medication I was put on high dose steroids um immune suppressants um, something called ursodoxy something rather for my bile salts. Um, I was put on vitamin K because I was really deficient and I was at risk of bleeding. Like there was just all this stuff and I had really no idea. I wasn't even, didn't even have symptoms that were that terrible. Like sure, wasn't growing, wasn't developing, did bruise easily, but you know, I played a lot of sport and fell over a lot and a lot of girls are late bloomers. So it wasn't like anything that you'd go is really out of the ordinary by the time I'd lost 98% of my liver function. So it was just almost one day I was, you know, a normal, well, quote unquote, normal teenager. And then all of a sudden I was really sick and had this life-threatening illness and was potentially needing to get a liver transplant. So it was quite a, a big change. But at the time I I wasn't really that overwhelmed because it was I just kind of took it as it came. I was like, oh, okay. And there had been speculation before because of my weight being so low that maybe I had an eating disorder. And so to be honest, in a way, I was almost happy of the diagnosis. It was like, oh, got people off my back. They're not accusing me of anything like that anymore because I've got this other diagnosis. So it was a very weird time. Um, unfortunately, at after about four or five months of being on the medication, my weight had hit an all-time low. I was having panic attacks, anxiety, was really depressed, and my gut issues were just bad. I just felt so sick every single day. And at that point, I don't think I realised it was the medication. It just kind of all happened incrementally. Um, and then by that stage, I don't know, uh, not to play a blame game, but the gastroenterologist really didn't 
seem to pinpoint any of it on medication side effects. They went back to the whole, you probably have an eating disorder as well and all of that. So they were just like, you need to eat more. And then I tried that and I was still losing weight and they then and I was like this is making me so sick I just can't keep shoveling the food and they're like you're scared of eating you must have an eating disorder and they wanted to put me in hospital and on a feeding tube and you know I was skin and bone so I did look very much like I had issues with eating but I promise I didn't I just (laughs) you know um, medication was really depleting me and obviously with my liver not working I wasn't absorbing or metabolizing anything properly anyway um, and you can kind of see why they'd be going down that path as well because I know that when girls that that age have eating disorders they're really really good at at hiding it yeah and that's what they said when and that's the thing like you can't deny it because they go oh that's denial like you're probably throwing up behind closed doors you're probably throwing your lunch out at school it's like no the last time I threw something out at school was like a banana that had gone squishy in my bag I don't think that's an eating disorder thing I think that's just common sense um and anyway I I've actually only recently shared this on a podcast. I used to leave this bit of my story out because I'm like, oh, it's a bit dark and people don't really need to hear it. But I actually, because um, I kept like I kept going in for weigh-ins and it got to a point where they were like, look, if you don't put on weight within a, like, I think they gave me like five days to put on two kilos, which with where I was at was almost like this impossible task. But anyway, they did that and it was the day before I was going back in for the weigh-in that was going to decide whether I was admitted to hospital or not. And I just, there was, I tried everything and nothing would work. And I was like, I do not want to be put on bed rest and a feeding tube. Like, I just want someone to figure out why I'm so sick and what's going on, why I'm I'm not absorbing anything. And I actually ran away from home because I was just so frightened and I didn't want to go down that path and no one was listening to me. And, you know, like they were giving me this diagnosis that I knew I didn't have, but there was nothing I could do to prove to anyone that that wasn't the case. Um... And so that was a bit of an ordeal and eventually I I wasn't going to come home. I kind of ran away and that was kind of going to be it um, and I'd left a note for mum that kind of said bye and then I was just, I, I had this aha moment. I was like, you know what, if I run away, that like there is no hope anyway. Like yeah. that's, that's it, I'm going to wither away and die because that was my plan. I'm like, well, but then there's no hope of ever getting better ever. Like this is it and it kind of hit me. So I came home and. Of course, by then they're like, well, you're definitely crazy because (laughs) not only are you excessively thin, you also tried to kill yourself. So, you know, Um, so I had to go through all that anyway. And it just, I didn't think I could get any worse, but then I did, I started getting hives on my legs. So I wasn't sleeping properly at night because of the heat. I couldn't shower because of that. My gut got even worse. And it was just probably the most awful time in my life. Um, And then at the end of that year, I just, I don't know, I, I just a shift occurred and I just thought there's got to be another way. Like there's just, there has to be, there's got to be something I can do with food. It's my, it's my liver. Surely something, we must have something to do with it. And that was when I started just, I can't even remember exactly where I went for my information because I didn't really know. I, no, I knew that all the mainstream sources I'd been using weren't all that helpful. And I think I just started going back to common sense and then going on to whole foods and for the first time in ages, my liver function tests were actually getting better because in that time they put me on another medication which was an even more intense immune suppressant and that was only just making a dent. Like really things weren't working all that well. And as soon as I started to just get rid of the processed foods and the wheat and the 
you know, all the typical stuff that you go through getting rid of when you have those aha moments, things started getting better and better. And I don't think there was a point when my liver tests ever went backwards. They just kept getting better. And the more and more I did when it came to food and also probably mindset, because I just was like, I can't stay in this depression. I have to start implementing positive thinking techniques and being optimistic and just getting up every day and doing my best because the whole depression, anxiety thing wasn't helping anything. And it just, it was, it was amazing. And like I said, at the summit, I know it sounds like the cliche wellness journey, and I say that journey in like quotation marks, but it, it is, it's like I changed those things and things started to get better. This horrible disease that they say is incurable and I'll have to be on medication for life for, it wasn't. Like I don't say I'm cured, but, you know, now I'm 20 and I'm off all medication. My liver function tests are really good. So I'm not going to say cured, but definitely I'm in remission. And, you know, this is something that I was told probably wouldn't be a thing for me. And I just... Yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of the thing. And obviously there were times where there were dips and my mental health issues came back because my gut wasn't completely healed and I had to go down different paths. So it wasn't all smooth and sunshiny and rainbow, but I never got back to anywhere near as bad as I had been in that initial crisis point. So talk to me about your understanding of the relationship between gut health and mental health because you've experienced it firsthand. Yeah, um, well, my understanding... In the over the past years, is the all the information about the gut brain connection has really gone a lot more mainstream. Is that you know seventy percent of our neurotransmitters are made in the gut, and if we've got um, any perme like permeable intestines, so that whole leaky gut picture, then we're gonna have un, and we've got digestive issues on top of that. We're gonna have undigested bits of food and protein molecules leaking into our bloodstream. They can cross the blood brain barrier, cause excitatory reactions in the brain. Um, our neurotransmitter production's not going to be occurring as well. There's chemicals in our food, such as the glyphosate on wheat and other genetically modified foods, or even that the council sprays on parks. And then if we go to the park and do a hand cartwheel and have it on our hands and then eat something, we're, it's just everywhere. Um, and, you know, that's stopping. Well, I, I know Cindy was on your podcast a few weeks ago and yeah. she's did she talk about the Shikamate pathway? The lovely Cindy O'Meara. Yes, she yeah. certainly did. She, she did. really did. I know it's like this complicated thing, but in basic terms, it's um, kind of the precursor for the amino acids that then produce the neurotransmitters in our gut. So if they're not, if they're being destroyed by the chemicals, then that's impacting. So there's it's there's a lot of factors going on, but it kind of all makes sense. There is that gut brain connection. If your gut's not healthy then all the things that your brain needs just aren't going to be there. And you know, on top of that, I suppose, especially for teenagers and teenage girls, we've we've grown up in, well, I know my generation, we've grown up in the low-fat era and our brain is 60% fat and we've been avoiding fat like the plague, thinking that we're doing the right thing, that we're preventing cardiovascular disease and all of that, but we're actually becoming very nutrient deficient in essential fatty acids and fat-soluble vitamins, which, again, are important for brain health. So you just you look at nearly every area of our life and you go, it's all impacting on our mental health in a very negative way. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. And you made a lot of changes to your diet. Do you, do you think that, you know, was it difficult to go from a standard Australian diet over to what you know a whole food wheat-free kind of regime um you know what no I, I I don't think it 
It was like I did make things, I did go really slowly. Like I didn't go gluten-free straight away. I went, uh, we were mostly gluten-free anyway because my mum's a celiac, like I said at the beginning. But I went from um, wheat bread to spelt bread. And spelt bread tastes so much better than wheat bread anyway. I was like, how have I not known about this? And then (laughs) eventually I went more gluten-free and started making like my own. Well, actually, then I just got rid of bread. And then eventually I made up my own recipe that worked within the guidelines I was comfortable with. And yeah, it wasn't that hard because whole foods really, and this I'm not just saying this to like be your health promotion, but like they taste really good. So I never really went through a stage of feeling deprived. I was more the opposite. It was like, this is so exciting. Like chocolate can like be made from raw cacao and dates. And how have I not known this? It was, it was <laughs> actually really quite easy. I kind of almost was really sad that I hadn't known about it earlier. I just, I don't think there's a day that goes past where I go far out. If I had just been eating like this from, you know, birth, would I have even gotten sick? And I I don't think, and, you know, if I hadn't been using chemicals in my personal care products and all those other little things that creep in, and I'm like, I don't think so. And it, yeah, so no, it wasn't that hard. That's It was a, fun. It was fun. <laughs> that's a really good point, actually, because I remember when I was kind of, you know, late primary school, early high school, which, you know, was a while ago. <laughs> but we we were spraying all kinds of disgusting chemicals in those personal care products and all the stuff. Because, you know, when you're a teenager, you're really into experimenting with, you know, hair and makeup stuff. Talk to me about the chemicals in, in the personal care products that teenagers use. Oh, my God. It's. I think it's just so sad because I do not blame any teenager out there. I just want to say for not knowing better because we have been brought up in like we sweat, we're going with, you know, put our hormones, we're smelly, we're told to use this. Like even teachers I've heard, not so much, I was never told by a teacher, but I've heard other parents talk about their kids' schools and the teachers ask them to bring like deodorants and perfumes in so that the classroom doesn't smell bad. And then there's all the chemicals in moisturizers, shampoos, conditioners, makeup is notorious for it. And we don't know better and it's just the norm. And like, and there's also the, the you know, you want to fit in, you want to kind of be wearing what everyone else is wearing and, you know, you don't want to be like left behind or whatever. Plus it is, you know, when you're a teenager, you've only got a certain amount of money and generally it's a lot easier to go to the cheap shops and buy the cheap versions of the products rather than the better quality ones. And, um, yeah, it's it's just scary, I think, because these things, you know, they've been they've been linked to cancer. They're they've been linked to you know depression, anxiety, gut problems, like all these things. But we don't know better. I think that's the scary thing. I had no idea what I was slapping on my body. And I remember when I first got my autoimmune disease, I really started implementing self care. But at that stage, for me, that meant you know putting on my body butter, which goodness, yeah. what was. <laughs> And I to- and I was showering twice a day and cleansing my face and moisture. And I thought I was pampering myself and doing the best for myself. Like, you know, I would have, I was trying to look after myself. If someone had told me, I would have been like, oh, totally, I'll do that. But I had no idea. Um, it's quite scary. And I think what's scary too is when you try and have this conversation with some people, you get shut down and they go, oh, as if that would, like, they wouldn't sell it to us if it wasn't safe. There would be laws around this, surely, and it's like no, <laughs> there should be. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's um it's a really delicate time for you know for a young woman as well because like you know at, at in those teenage years you're trying to establish you know a menstrual cycle you're trying to get hormones happening like your body it's all new to you at that stage mm-hmm. 
And then you're slapping on these hormone disrupting chemicals, which I think that's the worst stage of life to be exposed to those things. It is, especially from the whole point of view, like you look now at all the um, couples that, I mean, I know like you spend most of your time as a teenager trying not to get pregnant, but (laughs) then you think like in the next decade, you look at all the couples now that have infertility issues and have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on IVF. And I don't know, but I'm, I'd say there's a pretty strong link between what we're doing at the age of 12, 13, 14, around that age with all our personal care products and then, you know, the 10, 20 years time, the impact it's having on our hormones. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, mm. Now, as you were making all of these changes, it's yeah. it's pretty outside the norm. Like, you know, yes. if everyone else is spraying, you know, impulse on themselves and eating Maccas and here you are making raw chocolate and trying to do the best for yourself. Um, what impact does that have in terms of your social life and fitting in at school? Um, it didn't really impact it too much, I don't reckon. I think in a way I was almost lucky that I could almost hide behind my diagnosis because my friends were like, whoa, Rachel has been so sick. So they just accepted everything. It's like, okay, Rachel's quirky. Rachel needs to do this. Rachel needs to do that. Rachel needs to bring her in food here. That's fine. And, you know, if we were going to go out for something, is this a restaurant Rachel can eat at? Like I have to say I was really quite lucky I was never. I wasn't really judged, and I. But I, you know what? I think it was because people knew how sick I'd been. If I'd just been, you know, one day woken up and been like, "What are we doing to ourselves? I want to get healthy. This is ridiculous." I think it would have been very different. People would have been like, "You're a princess," but you know, I think people are very sensitive towards health issues now, especially serious chronic ones like autoimmune diseases, because people don't understand them anyway. It's kind of like in the same realm of cancer. It's like, oh my god, that's that's so terrible. Do whatever you have to do. Um, so it wasn't that hard apart from, I suppose, you know, sometimes you go to a party and you just want to be able to have the pizza, not because just that, just because it's easier and it smells good. And you just, you're like, you don't want to make that choice because you know what it's going to do, but it, it, does that make sense? It's, like you yeah, just, still you, hard. Wish, you wish you could live in the real world. Like my wish now is like, I just wish that real food was normal and that chemical free was normal. So then I, Everyone could just be healthy, but when you're in that world sometimes, especially when you're first starting out, you're like, I just wish I could have the cake at a party. I just wish this. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was probably the worst of it. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that bad. It was just sometimes being like, oh, I always have to take my own food and, um, <laughs> yeah, that sort of thing. Maybe you just need to move to Byron Bay, hun, because, like, up here that stuff is normal. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> come and visit I'll take okay. you out to places where you just rock up and like you don't even have to ask questions because it's all it's all there on the menu and it's all normal like it's all just accepted that people are going to rock up wanting to know if something's gluten-free or dairy-free or vegan or paleo or whatever their their choice may be it's all there oh well I have to come visit you maybe <laughs> I know it'd be nice if if that started to filter out to other parts of the world hey yeah, like I think it's growing, especially like in Adelaide, we do have that foodie culture and it is definitely, there are so many markets here now and so many brands coming out. So it is growing, but I found it's been a massive shift even in the past two years. And like, this is going back more five, four, five, six years ago for me. So at the time it was still quite, it was only just getting there. So it was, I think it was harder back then. It's a, I think it would be a lot easier now. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is growing. It's definitely growing. The fact that you have a podcast about this stuff and I have a podcast about this stuff, like, and that people actually are out there listening to it, mm. like, that shows that it's growing as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely a shift happening. So when you were starting out, like this was a little while back now because how old are you now? You're 19? I'm, I'm turned 20 in September, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, th- all of this was happening a fair while ago where th- mm. when there wasn't so much information out there. Who yeah. did you look to? Did you seek out practitioners or experts to help you or did you get your information online? Who did you see? Um, I, To be honest, I didn't see a practitioner just because I'd by that stage, I didn't have a lot. I've, I've definitely got a different opinion now with when I, yeah, you know, I know there's awesome practitioners out there like you that actually do get it. But at the time, my experience was GPs that told me that there's nothing wrong with gluten and gastroenterologists that didn't actually think food had anything to do with the liver. And so I re- really did not trust any professional because I was sick of having all my ideas that seemed to be working for me shut down. So I don't know. Um, yeah, kind of online. I think at first it honestly was I just used common sense and just started reading food labels. It just made sense to me. I don't I don't remember any particular blogs, not straight away anyway. Um, after a certain amount of time, I started following people like Lola Berry because I really like her common sense approach. And then Jess Ames Co., I really loved her blog, The Wellness Warrior, because she was coming from that place of chronic disease and, you know, living differently and not apologizing for having to look after yourself. And I really resonated with that at that time. And then by the time I'd started making heaps of changes and virtually reversed everything, that was when I discovered the Wellness Couch um, podcasts and the Up for a Chat Girls, but that was like a lot further down the track. So, yeah, for me, because there wasn't a lot of – there wasn't heaps of information out there at the time or I didn't know where to find it, it was more just – I started reading food labels and then I was like, what the frig is what have I been doing? And then because of the hives I was getting on my, like I think it, things kind of all happened for a reason. I had to look into skincare and personal care products because all of a sudden I was having these skin reactions I'd never had. And then I was like, hang on, I don't understand what 7-hydroxy blah, 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 blah is. Like maybe that's not the best thing to be putting on my skin. So it really just started like that and trying to navigate and work out what, made me feel good and what didn't and yeah so 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 much of what you did was instinct like it was it was total instinct rather than you know following what one person said to do yeah yeah Yeah, I look back and I'm like yeah pretty pretty much (laughs) that's amazing that really is amazing that that you did so much of so much of this yourself Thank you. Like there was definitely like people like Lola and like Jess, I'd get little ahas from them. So I don't take all the credit myself. It was definitely a multifaceted thing. But yeah, I guess, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. I think it was, you know, sometimes you just, you have thoughts and you make decisions and you don't know where they're coming from, but you just make them. And then you're like, wow, that was interesting. <laughs> Some would say they're the good ones. They're the, they're the right ones. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am very much into like that intuition type thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's, it's yeah. totally worked for you. Mm. Yeah. So talk to me about mindset because I know that mindset had a massive role in your recovery too. Yeah, it did. That was before I even tweaked food. Mindset was the biggest thing because 
um, just going back to that time when I had that eating disorder diagnosis and the doctors convinced, like my parents were always a bit sus. They were like, but Rachel has always had a good appetite and she's always loved her food, like really. But, you know, when I was that thin and you don't really argue with doctors because we I, we definitely come from that conventional background where you just trust what they say because they're the experts. They've got the white coats and the piece of paper on the wall they would know more and so they convinced them of that so I wasn't allowed to have any food choices I wasn't allowed to be in the kitchen preparing my food I wasn't allowed to be involved in food shopping I've had all those things taken away because I couldn't be trusted apparently um and so the first thing I did was I and I was totally in pity party mode and all the food I was eating like the gluten and stuff was giving me panic attacks and I was in such a terrible place and one day I had to go you know what I'm not going to get any of those choices back unless I start to somehow get this under control and show that I'm not crazy like you know by their standards because does that make sense like yeah. I wasn't going to get any of I wasn't going to have a shot at changing my diet and using nutritional medicine if I didn't have the choices and the only way I could do that was to go I'm rational I'm not so a part of it was just trying to be positive and um I don't know, I just I try not to make food the focus for the first bit and just try and look at all the other points in my day that I could really enjoy. And then it, yeah, it just all happened organically. It was really po- choosing to be positive. And I, I had to fake it till I made it because at first I did, I just was so unhappy and felt so gross that I had to plaster the smile on my face. But over time, it just got more natural. And then mum and my relationship there was less friction and she started to see that I wasn't trying to do anything bad to myself I was trying to do the right things and then she we actually made the decision that the hospital dietitian wasn't helping me she was making me worse and so then mum was like all right I'm giving the reins to you but use them wisely and that was when I started to make changes and then I didn't even have to put effort into my mental health because the gut stuff started to heal and obviously my neurotransmitters picked back in and all of that does that kind of answer the question? Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of anxiety and depressions happening in teens these days as well, like so much more than, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. What, what do you think we're doing wrong? Everything. <laughs> um, oh, I just think there's been so many changes in such a short period of time that we just haven't adapted to. And I don't think that, it's all one big conspiracy theory. I don't think that, you know, all the chemicals in our environment were are meant to be bad. I think a lot of them are meant to have positive effects. They're just they're just not. And we a lot of the time we don't we're not understanding what we're doing. But I do think that nutrition has gone downhill. I know that we always hear oh, in the Western world we're so lucky we've got such good nutrition, but we're eating so much refined foods and even the foods we think of as whole foods, such as, you know, breads and pastas, and we go, Yeah, that's healthy and whole grains they're not and like you know when you had Cindy on and she talked about the wheat and what they've done to it so there's the whole corruptness in our food chain and then you know like like we've had the chemical conversation there's so many pressures on teenagers now to you know and I said I spoke about this a bit at the wellness summit you know not only are we expected to get you know it's not like just get just aim for C's if you get B's and A's that's cool it's like no aim for the A plus and then we're also encouraged to do extracurricular and put out everything into that and then there's that kind of that pressure to get a part-time job as well and you still want to have a social life and then you know your hormones are still adjusting and you're having the mood swings and that can't be helped that is just a part of growing up and then that's an added pressure and 
There's the whole body image thing that is notorious in our age group as well, um, whether that be, you know, some, and it can be either way, you know, some girls, we, whether they want to be thinner, some of them want to be curvier, some of them want to be taller, some of them want to be shorter, you know, there's all of that. And you just look at it, you're like, where is there not pressure? Even the pressure to always be on social media and portraying a certain image and even using the right language on social media and using the right acronyms and shortenings of words, that's like the latest slang and there's just everything. It just seems there's so many layers and it's overwhelming and we're so stimulated. There's very little downtime. Even when we do have downtime, we're on our screens and there's just this lack of sleep there. Oh my God, there's, I could go on. There's just so much and we, but it's so normal and so common now we don't question it. And I know I didn't question any of it until I got sick and I was like, well, I've got to be doing something wrong. And I realized how much I was doing wrong that I would not have even realized because it's so common. So where do we start if we want to deal with all of that? Because that's like an <laughs> overwhelmingly large heap of stuff that needs to change. It is. And I, I do realise that I talk about stuff on my podcast. I'm like, oh, my God, am I just – I'm what, what? Like, where do I start? I have to bring things back to basics because I'm probably just scaring people at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I suppose you can kind of kill a lot of birds with the one stone if you just – look at where your chemical exposure is I think that's probably our biggest one and that covers food and personal care products in one so if you just go whole foods and you go on to as natural personal care as you can and maybe even minimalistic so do you need as many personal care products as you're using or could you limit down if that was the I think that would have such a profound effect without having to actually get rid of screens or because like there's a part of that too that's just impractical like as teenagers we need to actually be typing our assignments up and we need to be researching and then that there is social media and that social connection is a big part of our lives so to say take that away go hippie don't have screens I don't think that's going to be all that helpful but definitely I think my number one thing would be be aware of the chemicals in your environment and look at limiting your exposure just because that's got such a big impact on our gut on our on our neurological system and on our endocrine system, which are like the three main players to do with everything. Yeah, it, and it, you're right. Like if you yeah. just say we're cutting the screen time, what you're actually saying to someone is I'm cutting your social life down. Yeah. And that, I, that could be more stressful. I think so because I think that's the, the thing. You still have to live in the real world, so it's all very well for you to cut that out. But if none of your friends are doing the same thing and you're committing to actually seeing each other face-to-face all the time, you're just getting left out of the world that everyone is still living in. So it's actually going to probably be more negative than it is positive. Yeah. 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 So I think, you know, if it's really hard being a parent and I think it would be super hard being a parent of a teenage girl, but I think Mm -hmm. that there needs to be more discussion around some of this stuff, doesn't there? Because it's not just as simple as saying, we're just going to make this rule, this rule and this rule. Absolutely. I think there has to be a bit of give and take and going slowly. Like I said, I didn't make changes overnight. I made them really slowly, partly because I had to, because if I had gone, you know, completely this free, that free, everything free straight away, the doctors would have very easily gone, oh my God, that's because I'm sure you know, as a naturopath, you say something about gluten-free and you get resistance from more mainstream practitioners and they're like, you're not celiac, you don't need to do it. So that was (laughs) all the time, every day. Some of the stuff that's been in the media lately about that, apparently, sorry, this is just a little tangent, but my stepdad, he's a lovely man, but he is very mainstream and very 
um, you know, Western medicine, evidence-based, this, that, and the other. And he gets very frustrated by some of my antics. And he <laughs> told me with great pleasure the other day that there was this um, highly respected gastroenterologist on the radio that said, unless you have celiac disease, you do not need to avoid gluten. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And there was a little word in between. The You're allowed to swear so, on this show, you know. Okay, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and he, And, you know, he was all like, you know, they're qualified and he, he's kind of like, what would you know, you're a student type thing. And it's just, it's that kind of thing. And I'm like, you know what, at the same time, as much as I know he was staring the pot, there are so many f- people like him out there that are are told that. And it is very difficult, I think, like, like we're being told that as teenagers. And if you don't want to give up your bread and your pasta and all your personal care products, it's very easy to believe the skeptic side and to just cling on to that and be like, it's a load of, and it's really difficult then I think for parents when, you know, I, th- I find that I speak to a lot of mums, although my podcast is for teenagers, I still find that I think I've probably got a bigger audience of mums still <laughs> at the moment rather than the teenagers themselves because the mums get this stuff and, you know, they're following you and they're following people like Joe Witten and they've got thermomixes and they're doing whole foods, but their kids think that they're weird hippies and they just want to be like their friends. And I suppose if I could have a message about, to teenage girls or, or boys, just say, just be open-minded and know that your parents are honestly trying to do the best for you. And I know that you might not think that because you don't have any major symptoms at the moment. And my message is don't wait to get sick before you make the change because it's so much harder coming back. And there might be certain parts of my health that I'll never get 100% back because of the damage that was done. And prevention is better than cure so just be open-minded because this I don't think we can keep denying all this stuff even if it is a bit inconvenient and we think it's not going to be as delicious and all that sort of stuff yeah and we are in a a point in time right now where we're waiting for science to catch up Mm. so I I do have a lot of people that go and make the changes anyway. They go, well, screw waiting for the double-blind placebo-controlled trials <laughs> to, to come through. I, this makes me feel better. And then you just have to not listen to people who try and detract you from that. If it makes you feel better and it's not causing some sort of massive nutrient deficiency, which it's not, then, yeah. then what's wrong with doing it if, if it yeah. means that your quality of life is better? And there's absolutely nothing wrong in it. And I love that. I, and I, it does frustrate me sometimes. I'm like, but it's just common sense. Do we need that piece of paper in pub, on PubMed to tell us to do something that just makes us feel good intuitively? Like, but I know that that's the way we've become so conditioned by society. Unless there's a study, we think it's not true. Like, it, and I'm like, it, it's not, the study doesn't make it all of a sudden true. It's true before we can prove it. It's just. Oh, it's frustrating. Yeah, and it's interesting because so much of what we talked about when you made your changes were, yes, you followed Lola, yes, you followed Jess, but a lot of it was instinct. Mm. And it was, you know, along the lines of what you thought was going to make you feel good and look where that got you. Yeah, I know. And I was a bit of a healthy sceptic. Like I didn't just go... I'm going to get rid of sugar because it's trendy. And I like this is a big point I like to make. You don't just get rid of things because you think it might or like even dairy because not everyone is sensitive to dairy, especially the high quality stuff. And that's so that was the shift I made. I went from, you know, the the cheap skim milk, just the Woolies and Coles brands to like the Paris Creek. And I actually found that for a while I was fine on that. I was thriving. And then unfortunately I got a tummy bug. And you know how sometimes after you've had a tummy bug, 
something shifts and you can't tolerate something anymore. So that happened to me and that was when I had to get rid of dairy. But for a period of time, I was actually okay on it. And, um, yeah, that's just some – sorry, I know that probably wasn't part of your question, but, you know, doing things because it makes you feel good, not following a trend, not just doing something because the research says this or because this naturopath said this, there has to be that – level of intuition there because not everyone is going to respond to the same thing even if we go the majority of people are going to respond to this if you're thriving on something and it's a holy whole food even if a whole lot of other people are reacting to it that doesn't mean you have to take it out just so that you can be hashtag paleo or you know that sort of thing I was very um I was very careful to do things because it made sense to me not because it was a trend and I'm sure I still did get caught up at times going, oh, I could experiment with that or I could experiment with that or, oh, like smoothie bowls, they're cool. But, you know, I've since then been like, no, I just, it's not about the trend, it's about feeling good. And if that goes against a trend or it goes with a trend, it doesn't matter, it's what works for me. And now that you've sorted yourself out so much, you're now studying nutrition. How's that going? I love it. Yeah, it's really fun. And I'm actually also studying yoga teaching at the moment as well. So, oh, yay. yay. Yeah, no, I really like it. And I think this year, especially, um, I've just learned so much because, like I said, I did go through, I think at the end of last year, I was, um, I had systemic candida. And so I did go through a period where I probably did hop on a bit of a ba- low carb bandwagon because I was like, I need to starve the candida and da, da, da. And I was probably a bit vocal about that. And I think this year I've really calmed down and become a lot more balanced and realized there is no one size fits all. I mean, apart from maybe whole foods being something that fits everyone, because that's what we're designed to have. There is no one size. And I think my nutrition degree is helping that. And because I'm studying at Endeavour College of Natural Health, we're very evidence-based and we are encouraged to use, you know, to do research with the journals and that. But there is also that element of common sense and traditional practice and culture and tradition, which I really like. I don't think if I did a mainstream degree where everything is science, knowledge-based and you're looking more at macronutrients and mitonutrients as opposed to just the whole synergistic effect of the food itself. So... Uh, yeah, it's definitely teaching me a lot. And my personal experiences, I can always draw on them for a common sense example, which I find, even though like it was quite an ordeal to go through it, it's really made me a lot more aware of my body and it's really helping me in my studies. I'm like, oh, I've got context. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yay, I get to actually like use that experience and grow from it and help other people. Yeah, absolutely. Like even um, in January, Sometimes I just laugh at myself. I'm like, I just, you think like I'm get, I get better and then something else happens. I'm like, hmm. Like in January of this year, because I came off my medication at the end of last year, all of it, they wanted to make sure that my liver was actually healthy because blood tests can sometimes miss things. And something happened. I don't know whether they hit my bile duct or I bled into my bile duct afterwards because I did have some internal bleeding after the surgery and I ended up with gallstone. So now I'm learning all about the gallbladder and (laughs) that sort of thing. And it's really interesting because I did used to have the very low-carb, high-fat diet and that does not work for me at the moment because too much, like, you know, too much fat can trigger a gallstone attack if you have them. So I'm even that's made me question things and go, okay, really no one size fits all. And now I'm trying to find, is there actually something I can do with nutrition to break this down naturally? Cause oh my goodness, I don't want them taking my gallbladder out. Um, 
yeah, so it's just one thing after another, but I'm a find I'm always learning and I'm because I've got that nutrition background and I've seen what food can do, I'm much more hopeful. I'm not like, oh, I've gallstones. It's like, okay, I just have to figure out what I need to do to get this jump over this hurdle and then I can use that in practice and help other people and, yeah. Yeah, that's such a great way of looking at everything, I think. Yeah, yeah I try to. Well, it, at least even if that's not the thing, if that's the story I tell myself, it's a lot <laughs> easy. It's a lot easier to get through if you go, it's all meant to be and it's happening for a reason. I can help other people rather than this just happened and it's shit. So, you know, that's the <laughs> mindset thing, I guess. Yeah, it is. It all comes back to that. Yeah. Now, if there's any teenagers out there listening to this episode, what are some really simple, actionable tips you could give them to help them get started on their, their process to getting better? I think awareness and education is everything before you even make the changes to start educating yourself. So, you know, if, you've, if this is the first episode of this podcast you've listened to, go back and listen to the others because there's been a lot of information on them. Um, there's my podcast, which is also on the Wellness Couch, The Healthy Exception. Um, there's plenty of really good books and blogs that you can read. And just to start educating yourself, being aware reading food labels, reading personal care labels, starting to become aware of just how much exposure exposure you have to certain things. I think education and awareness is the first thing because if you don't have the underlying knowledge of the why behind why you would make changes, it's kind of very surface level and superficial and that's, I think, when you might start to follow trends that maybe are unnecessary for you because if you don't have the knowledge as to, okay, I'm going gluten-free for this reason, I'm not going to use mainstream personal care products for these reasons if you're just doing it because someone some chick on a podcast is telling you it just doesn't have the same um impact I don't think so I'd say it'll wear off it'll wear off it it will because you'll go oh this is more expensive or this is hard or oh like whatever it can't be I'm sure it won't be that bad I'm fine I don't have any symptoms and my thing is do not wait to get symptoms like this stuff will be having an impact on you some people are more sensitive than others but it's just the nature of them. These things are endocrine disruptors. That's not selective. Some people are probably going to be more sensitive than others, but at some point it will impact you. And girls, you know, what you do now is going to impact if you, like, if you might not end up being a mum, but you might be and, you, like, you don't know what you're going to want in 10 years' time. And what you do now is actually impacting your, your children, which I know is, like, a bizarre concept because you're like, that's so far in the future. But, you know, if you start looking after yourself now, you'll probably – be fine and you'll have really healthy kids because the next generation like they're getting sicker and I don't think it's any coincidence and I think it's what we're doing now and that's not a blame game and saying we're doing it wrong we don't know better then that's why I'm saying educate yourself be aware and be open-minded you know if someone tries to tell you something don't shut them down and go oh, that's a load of as if you know just yeah sure keep your healthy skeptic skepticism because that'll stop you from being led down paths that maybe aren't helpful and um, will keep you strong in your conviction. But just, you know, being open-minded is a really big thing when you start to make changes and look at the world differently. I love that. Thank you. That's amazing. Oh, that's my pleasure. <laughs> Rachel, can you uh, let our listeners know where they can find you? Because I know there's going to be people who want to connect. Oh, sure. Um, so my podcast is The Healthy Exception and you can find that on the wellnesscouch.com. So just, or, or actually the easiest way, if you have the podcast app, on your phone is just to go there, search the healthy exception or search the wellness couch. And my podcast is on there. 
Um, and you can subscribe or just go through the back episodes and download the ones that you think sound interesting. Um, I recommend the two on the gut, so episode six and seven. They tend to be the ones I've got the best feedback on so far. Um, my blog is www.realsoupfortherealsoul.com. Um, and then both my blog and my um, podcast have Facebook pages as well, so you can contact me through there. Um, yeah, that's about it for now. If you're in Adelaide, um, soon I'll be starting to teach yoga classes when I graduate from yoga teaching and I'll have information on the website about how you can come to classes and contact me through there. Um, yeah, but the Facebook pages are probably my best bet at the moment. Yeah. I love how you go. That's it for now. <laughs> I'll be checking. Okay, there'll be more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll be checking in six months, twelve months, two years. I know there's going to be more coming from you. Absolutely, what a talent, uh, Rachel Favilla. Thank you so very much for sharing your knowledge and being so brave and so out there. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jules. I'm just humbled that people actually care enough to interview me. So thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that very brave and honest interview with Rachel Favilla. If you liked this episode, don't go anywhere. Hit subscribe and you'll get a new episode of Shiny Healthy You happening in your little podcast app every single week. How good will that be? And if you're into healthy cooking and you haven't been to my website for a look around, head to julesgalloway.com and there you'll find a download of a free mini recipe ebook. It's called Shiny Healthy Whole Foods and there are some really awesome gluten, dairy and sugar-free recipes inside. Have a beautiful week. Hope to see you next week. Stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.